Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our second podcast of the week, talking a little La Liga this time around. And of course, well, we have to talk about Barcelona, unfortunately. I, I don't know why we actually talk about them at this point. I think, Rian, what we should do is ban any Barcelona talk for the rest of the year. And I am 100% serious because... Uh, I, no, I, that would be no fun. <laughs> no, okay, for our listeners, it would be no fun. But for my mental health, it is also not fun. Um <laughs> And I have to take that into consideration. So, yeah, not not great stuff coming out of Barcelona, but we'll get to that in a second. But Rian, uh, Rian once again, I think, watched The Bachelorette this week. Um, again, how's how's that going? Where are we with The Bachelorette? Where are we? Oh, my gosh. All right. We're at the round just before she meets all of the fam- – meets the dude's families. So oh, it's like, okay. It gets down to, like, this final four, basically. Yeah, and uh, oh, is our, our guy Bennett meets... still there? <laughs> oh, well, Bennett, um, Bennett got sent home Ooh. because uh, he was basically picking a fight with like one of the younger guys, like the youngest guy on the on the show. Is, he's like twenty, like two years older than us. Um, it's like picking fights with him, basically, and then <laughs> and then um, he and the younger guy got Noah is his name. They got basically called into the principal's office, which was like Tasha. It's like sat both of them down and was like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" And um, and ended up sending home Bennett. But then he like he like comes back at the very end of this last episode. All right, like so a he's last, not gone. It's like a, a last ditch effort. Like maybe his flight, maybe he didn't get to his flight on time and just came back to the show. But who knows? Um, no, yeah, That's it's, it's getting interesting. It's getting interesting. So I'll Dude, this is... back next week, but, but, um, we still haven't figured out which four guys are, are getting, uh, to meet her family or having her meet them fit, meet their family. Man. Actually, wait, right. one more thing. They, they did a lie oh. detector. They did a lie detector. Oh, really? <laughs> but no, 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 they didn't really do one. What really oh, was, I, I was... actually thought you meant that. No, Why no, no, no. It was a lie detector, but basically they sat them down and, they had like this Mac laptop showing a screensaver of a heartbeat. And then on the side of the table, there was like a red and green light thing. So she'd ask these guys the questions and the light would go red or green. And that's when I was like, oh, wait, okay, totally producers, producers <laughs> controlling <laughs> which, which responses are, are right or wrong. And they're just like deciding probably arbitrarily or... They already knew all the stuff about these guys, so they knew. When the it's guys were it's lying. probably both. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit of both. both. I think it's a bit of both, but it was just hilarious that they're. Oh my god! You know, any lie detector has an actual what is it called, like a stenograph or whatever, uh, something actual like that. thing yes. in front of them, but they just put a screensaver of a heartbeat. So it's just really funny. Like, Man, they're really running out of. I was going to say they're running out of creative ideas on the show. It's oh, it's it. It must be prime television. I haven't watched it in several weeks at this point. But like, oh, I might I might just like watch it next week with my mom and just be like, this is this is the type of shows that my friends and I watch. This is this is entertainment for for Americans. Yeah, when it gets to the families part, that might be pretty interesting for for your parents. <laughs> oh my god, they oh my dad would love that. Oh, I definitely got to do that. Okay, all right. I have my I have my homework cut out for next week's. <laughs> next week's holidays um but anyway god we have been talking about the bachelorette for i don't even know how long at this point but anyway let's let's shift focus towards la liga and of course 
let's start off with my favorite team in Spain in Real Madrid. I, sorry, that, that made me a little nauseous to say that. But <laughs> um, anyway, Real Madrid, Rian, um, we talked about last week how they really need to show up in their next three games, right? Their next three games were Sevilla, Motion Gladbach in the Champions League, and now upcoming, the Madrid Derby. Sevilla, they've won. Motion Gladbach, they won convincingly, albeit. And now it's just the Madrid Derby to go. So where does this leave Zidane? That's kind of my question. Um, but I, I think let's start with Sevilla. They honestly weren't amazing during this game. I don't think either team really deserved to win this game. Like a draw at nil-nil, I think would have been the most accurate result for this, barring a Vinicius slash own goal shot that (laughs) shouldn't have gone in. Kind of own goal, kind of. You give him some credit for getting a toe on it, but then you kind of feel bad for the keeper because (laughs) Vinicius gets the toe on it like as the cross is coming into his hands and it just kind of goes off like the side of his forearm and right into the goal. I mean, the, the goal itself was really nice, all really because of a great pass out wide from yeah. Aaron Benzema, who is aged like fine wine. Really. <laughs> I was I was going to tweet yesterday during the Champions League game against Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, something, something, Benzema, fine wine, something, something. <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's basically how his career has progressed, ever since really Ronaldo left this team uh, a few years back. But... Yeah, I mean, this Sevilla side looked still a little shaken from the Chelsea game midweek last week. And I think it was a side that needed to regain some sort of form and confidence by going out and really getting the opportunity to potentially beat this Real Madrid side who was not strong. And they just could not progress the ball before. I don't know what it was like. Even on, I mean, I think the the wing play for Sevilla was probably their most effective, you know, positional play throughout the game. But even then, it was nowhere near what we've seen in the past from Lopetegui's side. And Real Madrid, I, I think one of the things they did really well in this game, albeit it wasn't much, um, they were able to beat Sevilla's midfield. I think this game was entirely won in the midfield. And I just want to point out that, again... Luka Modric, Tony Kroos, Casemiro is probably still Zidane's best midfield trio, even though two of those three players should be in a long-term care facility at this point relative <laughs> to a footballing career. Um, but it, it's just amazing to see them still click. Like, that is super impressive. And we'll get to the Motion Gladbach game in a second because they that even more there. But they this game was absolutely won. The midfield completely overrun Sevilla. Um, and that's kind of where the game was won. Yeah. And it, uh, like like you said, even in the Gladbach game, like that's that's still the best three. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense uh, just in terms of a team building kind of way because of the ages of those players and the fact that it seems like there is no one waiting in the wings for, for them, for Madrid, or the guys that they thought that were waiting in the wings, like, you know, your Isco, um, uh, not going to um, totally throw off Odegaard yet because it's still very early there. But in terms of like your Iscos, your Marcos Asensio, like those guys that they thought would be waiting in the wings are, are just have not really stepped up and shown that they could be um, taking over for Cruz and Modric going forward. So 
All right, let's shall we touch on the, the Gladbach game where it was more or less over after what forty minutes. I, there was one really good chance that um, Gladbach had at one nil with uh, Plea going through and chipping it just just um, yeah. a, <laughs> just over <laughs> Courtois and then just to the right of the right post and not even on target. Yeah, That's pretty much I, I Gladbach's think... best chance of the whole game. <laughs> I think there were probably a couple of different ways to better shoot that ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you said it best. Like this was arguably Real Madrid's best performance in the last two years. I think this is arguably their best performance. They, there's something about this team that clicks when Zinedine Zidane is up against the wall. And I, I don't know what it is with him specifically that they've bought into to his ideas and his almost his aura, if you will, because um, his man ma- management cannot be questioned. Like, you cannot question this, you know, Zidane's man management, especially given his track record with the Champions Leagues that he's won, of course, three in a row. And so, the team always responds to him, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's, it, they must, there must be, like, they like him. Yeah. yeah it's, it's no, not, they, they, they must they love fold him. on him. Yeah. They, they definitely trust Zidane Zidane. That, that is by far clear. What I think Zidane is still lacking in, I think he came up really out of Real Madrid's youth team in Castilla and then was promoted to first-team coach. I think he's lacking some of the maybe the tactical aptitude, aptitude that some of the other top coaches in Europe might have. But I think he almost makes up for that in man management. You saw that come out in this game um, against Mujan Gladbach. Like, this game was over, like Riyad said, after 40 minutes. They, they dominated, and I should specifically say Luka Modric dominated this yeah. game he he does he does this thing like I, I don't know you have to go back and watch him in some of these games like he does this thing with his hips where his hips go one way but his like torso goes the other way <laughs> and it's like the most confusing thing for a defender because you really don't know where he's going to run with the ball he is genuinely just an amazing footballer to watch so yeah he he was by far man of the match and Real Madrid are compared to where they were about 10 days ago in it, almost a completely different spot. Um, it just <laughs> the one thing that I'll I'll add to that is after the game ended, Benzema kind of admitted something indirectly that I don't know if he should have in his uh, his comments after the game. He basically said, you know, when our backs are up against the wall, we we always step up, and which led me to think like, it, or he said something along the lines of like, when we want to win, we win, which makes me think like, what are you doing? <laughs> In these other games, and I think that probably pissed off a couple of Real Madrid fans because you should be wanting to win every game, obviously. Well, it's but... the expectation, not just the one to win. Is that, yeah. is that these players, that Real Madrid will win almost every game if you're, if you're a Madrid fan, right? That's the Basically. expectation. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely the expectation. And for him to be like, yeah, when we want to do it, we'll do it, <laughs> which basically <laughs> left me confused. But um, maybe... It's like, like Madrid's like... <laughs> You're asking for someone, asking someone to do some work for you, and and it's like eleventh hour. This paper's due, this project's due, and they still haven't done it. And you go, and you're like, dude, seriously, need you to finish these last couple of slides. And they're like, God damn, fine, fine, dude. You want me to fucking do it? Fine. No, it's it's like that's basically their attitude. Absurd. Like I can't dispute that in any way. Um, but it yeah, makes me, it's it almost makes me like really wonder like maybe like they are so good when the objective is obvious when it's short-term objectives when it's 
And, yes. and Zidane himself, too, because there's got to be something to the fact that he's so much better as a coach in tournament and knockout games than his, you know, over a 38-game season, right? And, you know, maybe he's – maybe one day he'll be a great national team manager, honestly, because, you know, he – I don't think that he doesn't adapt. Like, he adapts a lot, I feel like, in games of importance, right? And he's – I think the biggest criticism I usually have when watching Madrid play, at least in the league, is like game to game. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to play, right? And I, where I don't know going if to... even though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like honestly, <laughs> but, but uh, you go into the Champions League, and when they play a certain team, they play they play different ways depending on the teams that they're playing. And I don't know. It, I, it maybe just says something more to the type of manager that. Zidane himself is and I, who knows who knows what that means going forward I mean it could mean that, that they're still really dangerous in the Champions League and you, we still can't count them out unfortunately like you still can't count out like a semi-final or a final run by them because if they have Ramos and Benzema it seems like everything else kind of figures itself out right yeah and Modric too of course yeah, yeah and just to that point like we said time and time again on the pod, how many times do we see this team with Kareem Benzema and with Sergio Ramos versus without them and how completely different those two teams are in league, Champions League, whatever. But getting those two players back in obviously these key games and Sergio Ramos, I think will be back for the Madrid Derby. Derby, excuse me. Um, <laughs> I, I think that bodes well for them going forward. Like Kareem Benzema coming back for the kind of Sevilla, Motion Gladbach, you know, Derby game now has already immensely helped them. Just imagine what Sergio Ramos is going to do this team. But again, bigger picture, what are Real Madrid going to do after those two players leave, which is in the not so distant future? That definitely remains to be seen. I don't think they're going to go down the a really, really bad path, but they need to find strong replacements. Um, hint, hint, Mbappe, Holland, uh, <laughs> Meccano, right? Those type of players. So Yeah. I mean, it goes back to that calculated risk that Madrid took during this past summer, right? Where they didn't go out and get up any players and basically have banked it all on potentially killing Mbappe, potentially uh, Erling Holland, and whoever else is potentially on the market next next summer. So. I guess only time will tell if if that risk will pay off. But um, I guess from there, should should we move on to the other side of Madrid and and touch a bit on uh, Atletico? Yes, let's let's move on to the other side of Madrid. Of course, in in a team that both Madrid sides, obviously, other than Hatafe, who uh, will be playing each <laughs> other this upcoming weekend. Um, Atleti, of course, doing well once again against. Um, you know, Tyler Adams, Salzburg, um, unfortunately, but... No, no, Leipzig, Leipzig. Oh, my God, Leipzig. Oh, God, I got my... <laughs> it's very easy to get them mixed up, though, to be fair. I, this yeah. happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a brain fart. So, Tyler Adams, I know you're listening. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, yeah, still very impressive against Salzburg, right? Another dominant performance in which saw Saul and Luis Suarez taken out early in this game, and they were quite upset about it very clearly. Um but I think the major points that we took away from this is that Atleti are consistent, 
they are consistent in their game plan. They're consistent in their attacking kind of three theory approach that I have. Um, and they can basically switch between the three at any given time, like they did when Suarez and Saul went off, for example, in a more defensive sense and a more attacking, I guess, fluid approach in the first part of this game. And of course, another clean sheet for this athletic side, another clean sheet. Like they have had two goals <laughs> scored against them in La Liga this entire season. They are on track to have no more than seven goals conceded by the end of the season. That's insane. That is actually insane. So, uh, Trippier and Lorente, I think, are probably my two favorite Atleti players in this game specifically, just because of their attacking presence on the right-hand side. Their link-up play is really, really, really strong. And Trippier's ability, we talk about a crossing ability, but really his ability to read the game in terms of when to get forward and when to drop back, has improved a lot since he was at Spurs. And I think that's definitely, you know, yielding really, really positive results for Simeone in the side. And also, I think he's really loving Madrid. Like, you see all these pictures of him really getting along with his athletic teammates. And, like, I don't picture an England international getting along with these, like, kind of macho, like, Spanish guys <laughs> and, like, South American guys. But it's hysterical. I, it's I love great. seeing him thrive there. I love I. I really hope that he serves as like an example. And I guess I was hoping that Gareth Bale would also serve this sort of same um, example, but more for English players. Trippier, a, a guy who was playing at one of the big clubs in England and decided I'm still good enough to play in the Champions League. And there's not really a spot open on any of the other Champions League teams in England. So I'm not going to just stay here at, at Tottenham and, and see how it goes. I'm not going to go down a level in England or go anywhere else to fight for my place. He goes away, goes out of the country, goes to Spain. He goes to a perennial Champions League team and a perennial, if not always right there, but a perennial at least title contender in in uh, Atletico Madrid. And he's firmly made that right back spot his own and big credit to him. I hope more English players are, have the confidence in themselves and, and the confidence in terms of like being able to go and live somewhere else too, and, and, and be comfortable living somewhere else um, to go and, and play for other big teams in, in Europe. And you know, I hope, I hope he's not the last, I hope that it becomes more of a trend. I mean, you've, you've seen with Jaden Sancho, kind of show an example for the England youth players going away from the country and going out and playing. And now you see that more around Europe with uh, even Jude Bellingham going to Dortmund, um, Musiala, Jamal Musiala, who was a Chelsea youth player who went to Bayern and out and is and started in Bayern's last couple games. Yep. Um, yeah. You hope to see more of that. Really hope to see more of that. That's it's very cool. But um, yeah, going to Urente. Yeah, he's shown a dynamism that I did not think that he had. And I, and I know I've clowned him a lot um, in the past, but he had a great finish in this game for the second goal. But he's shown a dynamism. Like He's not just – his ability to play both as a kind of second forward and who helps like link the midfield and also to play as a midfield player who's linking like defense to, to attack. That's – a versatility that I think I didn't think that he had in 
I've been really impressed by it. Yeah, it's almost as though Real Madrid probably realized too late that he was not really just a defensive midfielder. Like, trying to deploy him in that spot was probably their biggest mistake. And then he started scoring bangers for Atleti. And I think Real Madrid were like, oh, he always had that dynamism. We just didn't play him over our three midfielders that were too stubborn to replace. Um, Yeah, so that was probably their attitude. But... Yeah, Lorente coming into this athletic side, I think, has provided exactly what Rian just mentioned, right? That dynamism, the ability to run at players, the ability to take the ball forward just completely one-on-one on his own. That's something that is hard to do well. It's not necessarily hard to do, right? Suarez, for example, does it. He doesn't do it well, um, but he does a lot of other things that are that are great. But yes, I, I think Lorente is probably one of the brightest spots in this team so far. I mean going back to basically his goal against Liverpool, like he's been on the up in terms of his value to this team. So um, he, he's largely played as a right midfielder slash winger. Um, and I think that suits him pretty well. I can see him drifting more centrally though, um, especially in the upcoming Madrid Derby, where I think Simeone would probably want to either outnumber or match Real Madrid in midfield. And Lorente, I think will be a big part of that strategy in positioning him as a kind of a right side midfielder um, and maybe a right winger in attack. So that's, those are my thoughts at least, but uh, Rian, who do you think is actually going to win the Madrid Derby? This is the, the Saturday night game in Spain, the Saturday afternoon game for us, but obviously one of the biggest games of the season. Yeah. It, it feels like there's slightly less pressure. Well, not slightly. I think there's much less pressure on this game for, Madrid and Zidane than there was like four days ago when they weren't sure if they were going to be in the Champions League um, knockout stages, right? It doesn't feel like a loss in this game means that Zidane gets fired. Whereas, you know, yeah, if, if things didn't go well this past week, then this would have really been make or break. But um, I don't know, I'm, I hate to sit on the fence. I, it feels like a draw. It feels like, it feels like Madrid or Real Madrid are going to go there and really try not to lose. And that's going to be the biggest, that's going to be their biggest. Um, I mean, obviously that sounds like no shit. They're going to really try not to lose, but, <laughs> but, no, but I, more I think, than trying to win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They will try to not lose. And we know how Atletico Madrid plays in just about every game. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I, um, I think if it's if anyone wins, I think it'll be Atletico on like a one nil. Um, but I feel like it's more likely going to be a draw. But I'll go and say Atleti one nil. Interesting. I mean, it could easily you know just as easily go the other way. Um, but if I was a betting man, I would absolutely put money on Atleti not conceding, just yeah. because. <laughs> Just because it's Atleti, really, not because anything to do with Real Madrid in this case, but um, just because the the track record says they're not going to. So, yeah, I'm going to go probably, I I would say 1-0 Atleti. Yeah, I think that's completely the fair scoreline. I think Real Madrid are going to, I think what's going to happen is that Real Madrid are going to come out of the gate strong. Everyone's going to think, okay, Real Madrid might really have a hand in this. Atleti will slowly ease their way into the game. Right around maybe the stroke of halftime, you'll see Atleti score. And then, of course, in the second half, 
Simeone will do exactly what Simeone has done for the last several years, last basically like eight years at Atleti, um, which is defend compactly and uh, get Jao Felix running on the break when they do get the ball back. So, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much what they did in, in this, this <laughs> midweek against Salzburg, too, because Salzburg put, had a lot of really good chances. I don't know about a lot. They had a handful of good chances, I think, in yeah. the, before Atletico ends up scoring uh, on a free kick that goes off the shoulder of Hermoso. And then and then the second half is just shut up shop and <laughs> make it really hard for Jesse Marsh's man who, who just couldn't quite find the breakthrough. And, and uh, Atleti ends up getting another goal late, and that's that's all she wrote. But, yeah, I could see a very similar, a very similar uh, pattern of play this weekend. Yeah, basically. So we'll see what the Madrid Derby – holds I, i've been saying derby more so you're welcome but we, uh, see, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will we will see what that holds and uh we will be back after a quick break now and we'll unfortunately talk about barcelona i'm just gonna leave it at that Do we, have to, do we have to do this? No, I got to cut you off. Do we have to do this? <laughs> do I, I just, we just hit record and this overwhelming feeling of why, why do you have to talk about Barcelona? Here? Like, I just, whatever, go ahead. Go ahead. With what you're saying. I just, <laughs> no, I, was just saying, I mean, we, we have to, we have to celebrate something. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I remember that Alvaro Negredo was still playing. <laughs> and he scored the winner this weekend against Barcelona in Cadiz's 2-1 win. I mean, dude, we don't have to talk about the second goal. We don't have to talk about Negredo's goal much more than he scored from a, maybe a foot out and there was no goalkeeper in the net when he... <laughs> put it <laughs> when he scored um Elias uh, you've informed me that Ronald Koeman has a worse win percentage right now than Kike Setien but that's not the coach that I really care about comparing him to look if there was if it was possible to like splice in some clip from January of this year when Elias went on one of his many rants about Oh no. <laughs> Ernesto Valverde somehow being the problem at Barcelona, even though he won two straight league titles. Oh my god. And Elias blamed him for the reason that the team was seemingly shot of mentality quote-unquote um seeming like it wasn't really his fault you think you you, you really think now you're you're gonna bring that back on me okay just for context for all of you i texted rian after barcelona of course went on to lose three nil to juventus midweek in the champions league and take second in the group which means they will now face either psg dortmund chelsea um, who else? Oh, Bayern. Yeah. So that's Run it back. Oh, and City, I think. City's Run it back, Turbo. <laughs> Run it back to death. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, I texted Rion after this game and I said, I hate to say it, but um, I miss Ernesto Valverde. Yeah, I'll say it. I'll say it. You were wrong. I think it was was okay. More. I, yes. Well, okay. Mm, I, I wouldn't say I was wrong, and here's the only reason why. Would you keep a coach around that loses back to back Champions League semifinals in the way that he did, or quarterfinals and then semifinals? Like going out in that manner. Do you, as a Chelsea fan, would you keep Lampard around if that happened? Mm, no, it would be hard. It would be hard to justify it. I agree. Exactly. It would be very hard to justify it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be hard to justify it, of yeah. course. Well, of course. Here, the reason why I miss Ernesto Valverde is because he knew what the strengths and weaknesses of this team were. He knew it really, really well. And he knew this team was not strong. I think he knew deep down that it was probably a somewhat broken side. I think he covered a lot of cracks up until Roma and Liverpool. And I think largely he actually did a really, really good job now that we're seeing what is actually happening to this team. So I miss what he was able to do. He was able to get the best out of individual players in the team system. And we may not as Barcelona fans like that system. It may have appeared ugly and unappealing at times, but it worked. And damn it, it worked well. Like he won two league titles. And I mean, you can't, I guess the only thing I could really ask for is a change in those two knockout Champions League games. Um, or one of them, right? Or one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think at that point, if you get your team 90% of the way there, it's probably on the players at a certain point too, to not step up. So yeah, I, I do miss Ernesto Valverde in some ways. Um, now, of course, we do need to talk about Ron Koeman and where he is at with this team and how, and let me just paint a picture as to how broken everything is at, at my club right now. Interim president about two weeks ago, no, maybe a week and a half ago, comes out publicly in his dumb assery and decides to say, yeah, you know, economically, it would have made sense to sell Messi over the summer. Um, <laughs> why, why, why are you, why are you doing this? Why? Why would you go out and publicly say that? And then, of course, you have to scale it back and walk it back a day later. But you are an interim president who, whose only role is to transition between Bartomeu and the new presidential candidate. You have no other job. Don't go around the radios and talking about how you should have sold Messi. You have one job. Play it political. Just play it safe. But, of course, we couldn't do that. Now, fast forward to the string of bad performances in the Cadet game. And now, of course, the Juventus game in which somehow Ronaldo overshadowed Messi in, in a game that, in the at least in the kind of the papers, but Messi had an amazing game against Juventus. I think that's kind of overshadowed. Um, but now fast forward <laughs> and people are starting to think, well, was Ronald Koeman the right coach to a point? Well... <laughs> Let's go with the answer that it's no for a second. Let's assume that you don't think that Ronald Koeman is the right coach for Barcelona. Which, well, well I, I don't. But yeah, go on. Let's, let's assume that there are the people who are on the fence still. I, I think this is, let's say it's turning out more so like his Everton stint than his Netherlands stint. I'll leave it at that. You um, could have seen it coming. Yes. <laughs> you could have seen his last job as a club manager that was pretty bad overall. Being not so great. 
Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You done? All right. Um, yeah. So let's assume for a second, just go with me, that you don't want Ronald Koeman as your coach. Well, Barcelona don't have the finances to fire him and pay his severance. So can't do that. Um, let's say even if they did go to Goldman Sachs and say, hey, I want a loan for X amount of money, um, you plummet the club even into more deep finances, uh, financial issues. And also, you have to pay another coach to come in and do the same job and likely a coach that would have to be of a much higher relevancy and public stature than Ronald Koeman was. So let's say you go out and get Pochettino. Pochettino's not cheap. You don't have money for Pochettino. So again, goes back to my initial question. How do you get rid of Ronald Koeman? Well, you can't. Not at least until a new president's there. So for those of you that are calling for Ronald Koeman to leave, he, he literally cannot. That's how broken my club is. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> Xavi? Who knows? Say maybe Xavi would take a pay cut when the new president comes in. But well, I I don't even think Xavi would take the job right now. Like this is this is the other thing, and I I know I'm going on a rant here, but it's relevant to this team. I somewhat feel bad for Ronald Koeman because the team that he's playing is basically a very average midfield combined with a, a defense that may or may not have been relegated to the championship. Um, if it was playing in the Premier League. Um, and then you have basically what they call in Spain media puntas, which are central attacking midfielders, basically, um, all playing in the center in Messi, Griezmann, Coutinho. They're all playing in the central area, even though on paper they're lined up as wingers and a number 10 in Lionel Messi. Um, and, so, and and we, sh- we should really just say a declining Lionel Messi. Right? Like, it's... We got to discuss this. Like he, he's, and this is not a bad thing. He's 34. Like he should be declining by this point. And granted, his output level at de- at as declining is higher than many players. But yeah, the interim president was probably right. He probably should have <laughs> been sold in the summer. He is doing nothing but. I shouldn't say nothing but. But he is a detriment to your club record signing. Or actually, I don't even know if he's club record if, or if Dembele is at this. But I think Dembele way, was. No. Griezmann is a, a, the guy that when you go out and sign that player, you expect that he's your guy for the next five to six years. Messi is directly inhibiting his ability to really grow into the club, into the team. And I mean, like this is for the, for the first time, at least since these numbers have been um, really uh, calculated, like Messi is underperforming his XG and it, the team's XG plus minus Messi's like on off field plus or minus for XG is negative for the first time too. And this is nothing again, nothing to say about the player himself. He's still a wonderful player. It's just his decline added in with all of the other mess that is happening with him, with the team, not with him. And that other mess being the fact that he's also having more touches than ever. He's, he's, they are even more playing <laughs> past to Messi thing now that Kuman has come in. His touches have actually gone up 
since the last couple seasons. It's, I mean, it's it's a lingering thing that's there. It's an elephant in the room. But yeah. again, it's not it's not his fault. It's not his fault, and the team should be still functioning better around him. But it, it is a thing. It's it's a it's something that you have to throw into when we talk about the issues with this team. It no, it it is. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be as objective as possible here, right? Like it, it absolutely is a a part of this team that's struggling, and that's been Messi's performances to a degree. Right. Yes, <clears throat> the statistics will tell a picture. And, and I think that's actually, a, for once, a pretty important picture when it comes to t- statistics. But Messi's supporting cast is inhibiting him, too. So it's, too, yep. it's not just that his positional play is inhibiting Griezmann, Coutinho, etc. Right. It's it's also, and I think in larger part, the opposite in that their play inhibits your best player. And nine times out of 10, maybe this is the one scenario, nine times out of 10, you probably take the better player and put him on the field more often than the others. But this might be the one where I think in all likelihood, come February, Lionel Messi will probably not be on this team anymore. And I think that's one of the saddest things that I could ever say, because I think everyone had this, picturesque image of him retiring at Barcelona and walking off the field, you know, holding hands with Pep or something, but it's, or at least like, like Iniesta where that yeah. great shot of Iniesta sitting in Camp Nou, like in the middle of the pitch with no, when all the fans have left and everything. And like, like something like that. Yeah. Right. And like, when I, when I say this stuff, I don't mean to, to be like, when you watch him, it's actually not, he hasn't declined really. Not, not really. Like he's still a wonderful yeah. dribbler. He still yeah, gets yeah. In a, into very good positions. But I think the difference is that, I mean, the levels are so, the margins are so thin when you're talking about, like, him seeming like the out-and-out best player in the world to now being like, uh, he, he might be, like, the two or three. Like, he, he so, sometimes he plays like he's the second or third best player in the world, right? And, yeah. and, like, the margins are really, like, he does these mazy dribbles, and, so, and now he's just not finishing as, as he's efficiently not. as yeah. before. Right. And and sometimes he can't get past quite the last man just because of like athleticism dropping, whatever it is. But it's just the it's just the levels are so, so the margins are so thin when you're when you're at that level. Yeah, I, I 100 percent agree. I think he's I think there's statistics out there, right, that he's creating the most chances in Europe. He's contributing the most, you know, per team. But he also had seven shots saved by Gigi Buffon, who also should be in a longer, long-term <laughs> care facility than <laughs> Luka Modric. Um, so I, I think his shooting and his his accuracy there has also declined. I think his free kick accuracy, I think in part has to do with the way that teams also defend his free kicks, but largely has declined in the last maybe year or so. But ultimately, I just don't think his heart's in it with Barcelona. I, I think his... He is halfway out the door. I mean, he wanted to be full way out the door, but he is halfway out the door now. And it's going to be, I just want people to prepare for a very sad end to this Barcelona chapter and to Lionel Messi's career in a way that he has to go to probably a competing European team and go up against them potentially in the future. That's 
for any Barcelona fan, and honestly, any football fan, like seeing Lionel Messi and it would be very weird to see him play against yeah. Barcelona in like the Champions League or something. Yeah, <laughs> that that's not the story that I think we all had written when he was 13 and he came to Barcelona for the very first time from Rosario. So it, it's, I think this just goes back to the ultimate point. What do what do Barcelona do? Right, they have a game coming up against Levante at home at the weekend. That of course. It would be the funniest thing if we say all of this, right? And Leo Messi goes out and scores four goals over the weekend. And, like, and it wouldn't, and it wouldn't surprise me either. Like I said, <laughs> it like it's, it's the margins are thin. Like he's, like I said, he's not finishing quite at the same level, but it doesn't mean that he, that this weekend he's going to get into those positions and and miss miss it as much as he has recently. Like it's still there. It's it's still there. Um, it's just it's not consistently there as. You know, and that that's really the difference between a world class, like a top five, three, top three, top five player in the world. Yeah. And, and like a top 10 or 15 player. Like consistency is like, it's right. It's, it's really insane. all it is. Now we're seeing it more like in moments with Messi, whereas we used to see it every game pretty much. Yeah. Right, so. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. Um, but whoever the next president is, whether it's Laporta, who's, Apparently running again, or Victor Font, um, or whoever, they've got a shit ton of work to do with this team, um, with this project. So we'll leave it at that because I think Barcelona have way more on their plate than any of us do. So, Rian, I think it's time that we just briefly touch on Real Sociedad and Villarreal and where some of these other teams in La Liga are. I mean, both teams dropping points. That's how I would put it. Both teams dropping points at the weekend. Real Sociedad against Alaves and um, Villarreal, uh, tying Elche as well. And so where, where do you think this leaves kind of just both teams in, in their quote unquote title race? Because they're, they were arguably the two hottest teams in Spain up until when they tied each other and then went on again to drop points, total of four points over the last, um, two games basically. And that's, if you have to think about it, it's basically like they've lost a game and, and some, yeah, and all that being said, Atleti still has two games in hand, and they are one point ahead of uh, Sociedad, who's in second, and they're five points ahead of Villarreal, who's in third. And so, I mean, this it, it could become like a six-point... By, by Christmas, it could be like a six- or seven-point gap for Atletico Madrid, right? So it's... I mean, those those teams are still in really good positions. I think their their underlying numbers are still really good, and some good stuff still happening associated with that outside of um, the league, outside of La Liga. They got a last minute winner, or sorry, equalizer today against Napoli, which put them through to the uh, knockout stages of the Europa League, and they're going to be a dangerous team in the in the knockout stages. That I think the I think the uh, Europa League run in. Starting uh, next February is going to be really, really interesting. There's there's some really, really good sides. I mean, there are almost always are, but there are really, really good sides who are who are in the group stages of the Europa League itself, not just the ones that are dropping into it from from the Champions League. So, um, ah, uh, yes, the famed sides dropping into the champ into the Europa League from the Champions League. Where have I heard <laughs> that before? But yes, yeah, um, but yeah, it, I, I think these teams are still in really good positions and it was it's probably too early for them to uh one be written off of the title race but two they're probably it's probably a little early in their development as i think as a project 
to be really challenging for the title this year. And, and they might end up challenging anyway, but um, maybe in a more kind of muted sense because th- this could be blown open a bit by uh, Atleti, if, especially if they win this weekend. So, um, no, still good stuff for, for Sociedad and, and uh, Villarreal. But, you know, that's just the margins, again, at, when you're trying to win the league against either of those three behemoths, right? You, you can't really... We're, we're not a behemoth button anymore, <laughs> by the way. We're, we're not in that category this year. Oh, uh, come on. Things can change quickly. Give it, like, two... Maybe things would be very different in two years, okay? So... I love that you said two years and not two weeks. I really thought yeah, you were no, sorry. No, no, obviously. I've, I've, I've punted on this season in a Barcelona sense. But Okay, good, good. Glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. I, I think things could also very easily change for Sociedad and Villarreal. Um, Real, Real Sociedad, I think, have the harder of the two schedules moving forward, um, in which they have to play Barcelona and Atleti, I believe, this month slash into December. Uh, into January, excuse me. So that might be a problem for them, but but they are still a very good side, and I don't think anyone should underrate that. So, yeah, I think that uh, the touches on everything we wanted to hear. I wanted to get to at least. Um, do you have anything else? No, I can't. I can't think of anything else here. I mean, again, I just I couldn't believe my eyes that Alvaro Negredo is still <laughs> in one of the top in one of the big five leagues in Europe, but. More and scoring, to him. yeah, and scoring, and his hair looks great. So. It really does, yeah, yeah. What a handsome man, seriously. Olivier Giroud and him standing next to each other as a striking duo would just oh. be deadly. God. Unreal. Wow, that would be. That is a weird parallel universe that I'm happy we do not live in. <laughs> oh, I would kill for that. But anyway, <laughs> thank you guys, as always, for listening to our Spanish English league rants and anything in, you know, basically anything else that we have to talk about. So. Thank you guys as always, and we will be back next week talking the same stuff. Thanks, guys.